1: Welcome everybody once again to ESSR Central, once again I'm your host Ross McLeod and unfortunately Captain Charisma can't be with us, so we've got the next best thing, we've got Bucky Boldom, we've got David Hockney. <laughs> Bucky um, Boredom, I'm like
0: one of the most interesting people on this whole podcast, so wrap that. And for
1: more of Dave's Charlie Nicholas S comebacks, you can find our massive back catalogue Eat Sleep Soup Luxury <laughs> <laughs> Tweet <laughs> on Spotify, Android, iTunes and Anchor. Uh, and of course Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community on Facebook get involved in the conversation and at Suplex Retweet Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube you name it, we're there but do Bebo, Myspace put us in your top 16 and make us your other half let them know you love Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet Mm -hmm. but David something we love here on the channel is a good old fashioned War Games match oh yeah war games (laughs) and uh, AEW eventually got round to giving us the blood and guts match unfortunately during the pandemic they wanted to hold off until they could have a crowd present Uh, because that's the sort of match that really does need a crowd I think we saw this year with NXT's uh, war games that it suffered a wee bit just from not
0: having the crowd there a little bit but I think that doesn't take away from the fact that you know the war games is uh, is already an entertaining concept to begin with and when it's done right it's actually it can be considered one of the matches of the year and I do remember watching Blood and Guts thinking you know I'm hoping something that's on par with what we expect out of war games but we know AEW likes to try and one up WWE in every which way possible so it was uh, it was uh, definitely the highlight of watching AEW this week
1: yeah um what were your thoughts on the match as a whole, like uh, how, how did you rate the match compared to previous NXT war games and if you've went back and watched any, uh, the old NWA, w- WCW style war games?
0: See, the impression I got was, I think they were trying to go back to, like as you mentioned, the original war games, you know, which were mainly just the competitors inside two rings surrounded by a cage. I, there wasn't many weapon spots apart from maybe Sean Spears in his, uh, his signature chair but you know there weren't any like table spots or any other like i think Kendall sticks might have been involved in some capacity but again it wasn't really down to weapon spots it was more just you know just 10 guys beating 11 daylights out of each other so yeah I, I appreciate you know it sort of goes back to the original war games whereas nxt is sort of more weapons based and you know pulling off massive spots and i think that was where the difference was with this one in particular but I did feel like the ending sort of dragged on a bit when I think it for about the best part of five ten minutes it was just filming MJF and Jericho on the roof but you had no idea like well we never know could somebody you know be forcing somebody to surrender in the middle of the ring because it's still you've still got like 8 other guys inside the cage who could be doing something that'll help them win
1: yeah absolutely um, I like the build up to this feud I think the feud itself has been really good uh, Jericho's been sort of a pseudo face for a while he's He's now full-on face along with the rest of the Inner Circle. I liked um, Sammy Guevara sort of earning back the trust of everyone in the Inner Circle and asking him to be the first entrant into the match. I thought that was really cool. I thought that was a, a nice wee mini storyline. Not a fan of Sean Spears and the chair shots to the head. Just I know AEW is not a PG product. I know AEW eh, does not have shareholders to answer to, but we've saw far too many concussion related early deaths concussion related dementia you know even in football you know there's talks of limiting heading you know heading a, a rubber ball <laughs> you know at lower lower levels because of the long-term damage you can have a uh, you know and i just I think we've evolved past the need for chair shots to the head you know what i mean like mm-hmm. maybe the throwing thing like see when swagger sorry hager throws the chair at wardlow i like i, I don't mind that sort of thing because it's not as like impactful mm-hmm. but you know if your gimmick is in 2021 hitting someone over the head with a steel chair i don't think you're worth the times so i'm really not a fan of that
0: no i concur like I think there were too many chair shots to the head for my liking. If they maybe pulled one off, you know, you might get away with it. But as you mentioned, you know, there's uh, there's that. Well, it's a policy in WWE now to prevent, you know, concussions and severe head injuries because of uh, chair shots to the head. And there was definitely quite a fair bit of, you know, fair bit of the competitors were busted open as well. Now, that could have been a combination of either... You know, chair shots or being thrown into the cage itself but even just seeing that, it's a little bit uncomfortable look at it, looking at it when you know it's not, you know, because of a like, an, an, inten- like un, an, an, an unintentional bump that was taken too hard and, you know, somebody ends up with like a, a nosebleed or something, like there's not much that can be done about that. And you know, you have the referees, you know, not even attending to any sort of blood-related injuries because I get the notion is blood and guts, but you can't Sort of turn away from the fact that this could have long-term impact uh, in ter- or for a person's health. So yeah, I think that's where the sort of difference lies when it comes to war games and blood and guts, and that war games can still pull off all these amazing spots without the use of blood or chair shots to the head. And uh, in this instance, it just felt almost a little sort of like almost like a step backwards. If you if you get what I mean, it's uh, there was. A lot of it was unnecessary, but I, I do appreciate the sort of level of brutality that was put behind it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's not to take away from the rest of the match. I thought the rest of the match was really good, really entertaining. Mm-hmm. You had a hot crowd there, you know. So so many people haven't been to live shows in so long that, you know, any crowd at the minute is going to be a really hot crowd. We saw that with WrestleMania. Uh, matches mm-hmm. people usually wouldn't be into. They were really into. But, um... You mentioned the ending dragging on a wee, but I didn't mind the tension because it's like the oh well they won they sort of thing. But when Jericho, so the ending of the match comes when Sammy Guevara says we surrender, so that MGF doesn't throw Jericho off the stage, sorry off the cage onto the stage, yeah, um, and MGF proper heel. Just kind of throws them off, anyway. I thought this bit was laughable because I'm not asking a fifty-year-old man to take a bump on a metal grate. I'm not asking him to take a, a bump on the stage, but this was like a sort of—it was a mattress that was like right underneath some poorly placed cardboard printouts of what was meant to look like a stage, hmm. and you seen like when he landed it wasn't like one big cardboard sheet it was like individual A4 size sheets that just (laughs) it it just it looked for a match it was so violent so brutal and the build up you know I loved the the brawl and the inner circle taking the locker, locker room back and the build up I thought it was amazing I just thought it was so so unbelievably crap. <laughs> like,
0: it reminds me just, of the Yeah, it reminds me of the exploding death match a bit where they had those uh uh those sparklers go off instead of the whole ring exploding. It was they I think AEW is starting to develop a habit of, you know, the match looks good on paper and it about 95% of the time it's just about there, but it botches the ending almost uh all the time now. Uh, and I remember seeing on Twitter as well I think Shotzi Blackheart actually mocked it by, I think it was like she was, she jumped and sort of fell back onto her bed and that was sort of like a bit of a recreation of it and I thought that was actually quite hilarious but on the other side you're not going to ask you know, 50 year old Chris Jericho to, I know as you said you you can't really sort of throw him off the top of a cage and going through a steel stage like, because that's That's either going to seriously injure him, if not kill him. And, yeah, I I could see what they were trying to do, but the execution of it just went really, really badly.
1: And the thing is, I I mentioned this in the group chat. It reminded me of um, Father Ted. There's a big bunch of boxes in the middle of the road.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's the scene with Ardal O'Hanlon in the the truck.
1: Yeah, Yeah. in the milk van, like three miles an
0: hour. And...
1: Like, y- y- you mentioned Shotzi Blackheart. Was it not like the week before she dives off
0: like the stage in the Capitol Wrestling Centre through a table? Yeah, she climbs the scaffolding uh, during the street fight with the Way. And yeah, she splashes through Candace, or yeah, I think she splashes through Candace on an announce table. And it was a, an amazing spot that. I, even it reminds me of when Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly's unsanctioned match at Stand and Deliver, where. There was just a, a tackle from the stage and they went through the grate just from floor level. Like that was a that was a more intense spot than Jericho being thrown off. Yeah, um, I'm glad you didn't say tossed off there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody's gonna top Undertaker Mankind in Hell in a Cell like that. If that's what they were going for, they were miles away from it.
1: Yeah, that that's the thing. That, that everyone, WWE included, have been trying to chase that spot since nineteen ninety-seven. It's just, or nineteen ninety-eight, I should say. It's just not gonna happen. Um it's a, it's a spot and unto its own. But like something else I brought up was like it didn't have to be through it great, it didn't have to be, you know, oh he you know, he takes this massive bump and there's no padding, but like even d- WWE um it's quite clear it's wooden ladders that they put their superstars through like Ah. TLC money matches. Wooden ladders that are spray painted the same color. But like that crunch and that impact and the visual of that guy lying there, you're like, oh my God, you suspend your disbelief and then after it, you see the Mm. the still images on Twitter and it's like clearly wooden. You're like, all right, fair enough.
0: Um, I remember the first time I saw one of those, I think it was the 2009 TLC pay-per-view and it was... I think John Morrison did a splash through Seamus on one of the bridged ladders, and there was some some sawdust that came out of one of the hinges, and I thought, oh, that's not a real ladder. It's just wood, and I, I was massively disappointed when I found that out.
1: Sawdust down on the ladder. You give that five minutes, it'll be right it as rain. rain.
0: <laughs> Doing the fat yeah. joke. Love it. So,
1: yeah, I, I wouldn't mind if they just did that, where it's like the he goes through like a wee thin layer of wood and then like there's a bit of a drop and it's like the mattress is there to break his fall because it's like the visual and the sound like wrestling is all about suspending your disbelief I just really wasn't a fan and if anyone thinks I'm like maybe overreacting here I only had the chance to sit down about an hour before we were recording now um, to sit and watch it I'd seen there had been criticism of the match I really enjoyed the match and I'm like why is this being criticised and then I seen uh, that spot and I was like oh right there we go. Uh,
0: it's, it's just a match that was sort of let down by its ending and that's as I said before it seems to be a running trend with AEW but not to take anything away from you know the the build towards this and the sort of little the, the sort of little things that make that match a little bit special like all of Pinnacle were in, in white gear. And the inner circle were all wearing prison overalls on the back with their their names and where they're from. I thought that was a, a very nice sort of nice sort of addition to it. It just sort of added to the fact that you know they're inside a prison and or a sort of prison like structure. And you've got the pinnacle who are draped in white, who are meant to be like king of the mountains and stuff. And the the pacing of the match went really well. You know, having uh, Dax start off and then not have Cash come in until the the third guy for Pinnacle because. You know, it wasn't just like two tag team guys starting off. It was like one half of a tag team and then joined by their partner much later on. I thought that was quite a quite a nice uh, nice pacing to it. And not like Santana and Ortiz who sort of came in one after the other. So yeah, it helped sort of kept you guessing about who was going to come in at what time.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, sorry, just caught top of my throat there. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, I, I think the pace of the match was really good. I liked Wardlow and... Uh, Jake Hager going in one after the other. I like mm-hmm. the sort of reactionary every time Pinnacle sent someone in, Chris, you could see Chris Jericho sort of gathering the troops going, right, if he's in next, that means you're in next.
0: Uh-huh. It, was,
1: it was like, he was moving people about and it was like it, it, was, it was strategic, you know what I mean? He had, like, they had the element of the surprise and uh, Pinnacle, but Inner Circle had the ability to adapt on the fly sort of thing, so I really mm-hmm really enjoyed that like you said just the the ending because the barbed wire match was such a like oh my god there's such danger and you know everyone's like oh my god take cover then through no fault of AEW it malfunctioned and then through uh, this one I kind of can blame AEW because it was just lazy setting out you know what I mean it was it was like cardboard Tron cutouts from the right. WWF titantron of like the like, 2000s you know
0: like trying to recreate Undertaker mankind and it all ended up looking like was uh, a really cheap version of when Undertaker uh, threw Rikishi into that that haybale truck
1: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, that, that's <laughs> spot on there we'll move on from us criticising AEW and move on to someone else criticising AEW and that's the former Impact, TNA, Global Force, whatever they were called that time, World Champion, Bully Ray. Bully Ray sent out a tweet after a segment on AEW this past week where Kenny Omega comes out winning just the AEW World Championship. His A is AAA Mega Championship. His Impact and TNA Championships, he won both after he defeated Rich Swan a couple of weeks ago, were around the waist and over the shoulder of his friend and AW comedy act, Michael Nakazawa. Ray really tweeted out if I was an impact uh, executive, I'd be absolutely furious at Michael Nakanobody uh holding my title. Uh, Kenny Omega is meant to represent and then he was basically I'm just gonna get the exact words here because I don't want to misquote him and then Yeah. Start
0: I've a big got word. the I've got the tweet here actually it says you if know? I'm if management or owners of... If I'm management or owners of Impact Wrestling, I'd be effing fuming that their World Heavyweight Champion was being carried out by Naka Nobody, and not at least over the shoulder of Omega. Perception is reality.
1: Yeah, well there you go, and it was... You talk about perception there, Dave. Um, Myself and Chris Murray and Scott McLeod last week discussed um, Kenny Omega winning the title and about how... TNA really haven't learned their lesson from when they had the NWA titles and TNA sort of had the power and they were like well no we don't want to have our guys come defend your local NWA shows. Mm -hmm. NWA basically stopped letting them use the titles so then TNA were left without any titles. It was just sort of a alright cool so it was a massive reset and we talked about how Kenny Omega is an AEW superstar. What yeah. if you've got a guy who's coming in and you're like, "Great, we want to make a big impact. We want him to straight away win the world title. And then AEW come in and go, actually, our guy's working for you. We don't want our guy losing to him. You know what I mean? It's... Hmm. AEW now holds all the power over TNA's world title
0: scene. Yeah, it's, uh, I, th- I think it's just a bit of a, a power play on AEW's part, you know, because they've got the... They're the fresh faces on the block. They've got the financial backing of Tony Khan, where his impact isn't as fortunate, I don't think, but they do have struck up this deal where they can sort of open that forbidden door. I think that's the phrase, you know, using if you're... If you've got performers wrestling for different companies, it's... Uh, but yeah, AEW definitely has the upper hand in more ways than one. It seems to be the more popular show now that they're on sort of primetime TV on TNT. Uh, and, you know, Impact is still it's still holding its own, but it's it's not quite reaching the levels as AEW is. So, and I appreciate, you know, it's like, you know, we'll lend you some of our talent if uh, if they get to compete on your show, but we get to sort of make, make big decisions. And Kenny Omega winning the... Impact world title definitely is one of those things because he's just scooping up all the championships now and it damages impact more a lot thing. But if we're talking about, you know, Bully Ray's comments about Nakazawa, I really don't see what the problem is here because you see, you know, champion boxers, you know, they win multiple championships. You know, they could win like five or six and they'd have a, like a, a a posse of them, like of, of followers sort of just carrying them, carrying them around. It saves you know, the actual of themselves carrying absolutely everything. I mean, I'm sure Floyd Mayweather has got like so many different championships and he has people carrying them around for him because there's just too many for one person. But I like how Kenny Omega actually retaliated uh, to this comment and he actually ended up wearing all three, like, at least three championships around his waist and it went all the way up to like his, uh, up to his shoulders. It was pretty hilarious to watch.
1: Yeah, I, I see the pros and cons like for this, you know, AEW is getting the... Like making their guy look like sort of a, the biggest guy in the world sort of thing because he's going to other companies and he's scooping up their titles. But at the same time, for the other companies, he's a part-time guy for you. He's a full-time guy for them. You know what I mean? He's he's not going to be on every show, especially with COVID restrictions at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it, it is, it's hard to balance the, um, it's hard to balance the sort of pros and cons, you know what I mean? Yeah. Kenny Omega, I don't expect him to wear every title, but at the same time, you know, have him, like, you see even if it was just two, like, lackeys and they have to, like, see the way Paul Heyman used to, like, he wouldn't wear it around his waist or over his shoulder. Exactly, yeah. Hold it he would hold it out as if it was on display. Like when he, he followed CM Punk because CM Punk was like, I don't want to, wait, you know, I don't want to tire myself out, carry, you know, carrying this company on my back and
0: carrying that title. Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean?
0: So it's... He, he did it with Roman Reigns recently as well. He held the Universal title up, you know, as if he's uh, sort of putting it on display. Like, and it's yeah. you see things like that. You know, I don't see why people like Bully Ray isn't complaining about things like that. You know, he's got a, a lackey holding up the title for him. But then again, it's Paul I... Heyman; and he's the the, almost the exactly. voice of the voice of the voiceless
1: exactly see like see my, my WWE comparison of it would be if Roman Reigns did it and had Paul Heyman and Jey Uso coming out holding his belts mm. I, I'd say that was fine whereas like see, say the Miz had done it and Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel come out wearing the titles you're like yeah that's they like they shouldn't be wearing them you know what I mean they should uh-huh. be carrying them or like if like he has like a no name lackey sort of like mm-hmm. come out and just hold the title and they, like stand there, don't speak. Whereas Nakazawa's is getting T V time and he's he's wearing the belts, he's walking about as if he's the champion, you know what I mean? I think that's I think that's more the thing. Here. I don't think it's uh uh well he did it. I think it's the
0: way they're doing it. So yeah i think I mean, how, weird, how, how weird would it be you know you know remember when jinder mahal was wwe champion like how odd would it be if you just see one of the Singh brothers carrying the title like around as if it was uh as if they were the ones like presenting themselves as wwe champion in the same way you know after battleground that year when kali you know is the one holding up the championship <laughs> and gender's just standing there like yeah just beat randy orton in the in the prison match <laughs> i
1: know that was an odd odd time um We'll move on from a uh, from Billy Ray's criticism of that segment to the actual segment itself. AEW uh, uh, champion Kenny Omega, uh, he hints at impending matches with PAC. PAC's the number one ranked guy in uh, AEW just now. But Orange Cassidy comes out and he start, sort of gets in the face and Kenny Omega just sort of not physically, but verbally slaps him down and just like someone like you, you're a joke figure around here, ironic considering he's pals with Nakazawa, you're a mm-hmm. joke figure around here, you know, you're you're not world champion material. Um, would you be interested in an Orange Cassidy, Kenny Omega world title feud or do you think that'll be something that's just uh, like a one-off match on a uh, Dynamite?
0: See... Yes and no. Like, yes, because I think it would be a good feud when it comes to promos and you sort of building towards a match. Because I remember them cutting that promo just before the Blood and Guts match. And I couldn't help but sort of be enthralled by it. You know, Kenny Omega's the one doing all the talking because obviously he's brilliant on the mic. And Orange just sort of sort of sort of sits, stands there, says nothing, and just keeps his hands in his pockets. Like, even just mocking him for things like, you know, putting his hands in his pockets, the the shades he was wearing, they were pretty cheap, and saying, oh, look at me, I'm Kenny Omega. I'm this bougie guy with all these championships. Like, I'm head and shoulders above, you know, a, a comedy act like you, Orange Cassidy, who just walks around wearing double denim and just hanging out with these two pals who haven't really done much in AEW. Like, that is sort of just poking the bear when it comes to a feud with with orange but it could be argued orange cassidy is one of the more popular guys in AEW, and having him take a swipe at kenny omega i'd be interested to see that given how well the feud between uh, orange and jericho went you know sort earlier i think it was last year like that one had some really really watchable moments and some entertaining ones at that is orange cassidy going to win the the world title Probably not, but I would like to see the match regardless because I think it could be extremely entertaining.
1: Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think the, the back and forth would be pretty entertaining as well. Um, On the on the subject of Pac, I quite like the fact that they're going back to... Like, Kenny Omega made reference to it. That he, he didn't shy away from it. Pack's a man that's beaten me before. Mm-hmm. I, I quite like that because, like, too often do they... Like someone like Jinder Mahal. Too often, when a title is, and I'm not comparing Kenny Omega and Jinder Mahal or the build, you know, because the build was there with Kenny Omega. But like when Jinder Mahal just sort of got the title thrown on him, like all of a sudden we were meant to forget that, you know, every single person had beaten him Like there was a wee moment where it was like Mojo had won the battle royal and he was mm-hmm. like, "Well, I'm I was the last person to beat Jinder Mahal," and then they have like a non-title match. Jinder Mahal wins, gets the win back. But Kenny Omega, like, had some great feuds, some great matches, he put people over, he won some, he lost some, so there is blemishes on his record, and I like the AEW are going back and going, right, well, this guy's beating you, you're on a hot streak, let's not forget this guy has a win over you, and let's, you know, go back and have, they, they've earned a match because they've beaten you, I, I like that style of thinking, instead of just, well here's another battle royal or here's another ladder match or here's because that seems to be a W staple or here's a you know a yeah. tournament that because I think these tournaments and these battle royals and these ladder matches they build people up to then just break them down whereas it's like if someone like Pac loses to Kenny Omega it's not a oh well that's him buried it's a case of right well he's beaten them before but he can't beat him now be interesting to see maybe in a year's time where they are you know what I mean it, it keeps intrigue Aye.
0: It's long-term, it's long-term storytelling done well and and it's not something i've seen aw do a lot of lately but see when they do do long-term storytelling they do it well and omega pack is one of those examples where you know they could easily you know develop a, another story from where and i would be happy to see omega versus pack again or see omega versus orange even if even if omega versus orange comes first and we see omega versus pack you know, maybe that would be, you know, maybe somewhere further down the line. But actually, now that I've, now that it's occurred to me, Double or Nothing is AEW's next pay per view, and if you, and if that's usually their big pay per view of the year, I think you'd be leaning more towards an Omega Pack match.
1: Yeah, I agree. If it's the big show of the year, I think you go with the biggest possible match, and uh, a rematch of Pack versus Omega could be absolutely amazing. You know, because was it not? Have they not had like multiple pay per view matches before as well? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I can't yes. remember if it was a a light. No, it was Moxley and Omega was the lights out match. But Omega and Pack, you know, I think they've had a they've had a series of matches. And I remember one point, Pack finished it with a black arrow and then immediately put the brutalizer on Omega, and I think that's what made made him get the win. It was a a really really entertaining series of matches.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and yeah having a wee, would you call it, having a wee stopgap with um, sort of orange cassidy. You know, don't, I don't see being a bad thing, you know what I mean? I, no. I really don't Really don't think it's a bad thing. On our last thing about Blood and Guts, um, fans weren't too happy recently at the fact that the first hour of Dynamite, Blood and Guts was pre-taped mm-hmm. and it aired on the big screen. It was met with booze So, uh, at Mr. Jacob Cohen on Twitter, tweeted out, Tony Khan is out. He says, we're the best fans in the world. We're going to be the crowd noise for the entire show, even though the first hour is taped. Omega Nakazawa versus Moxley and Kingston is opening the show. If you want a refund, you can get it now. Uh, And then he put up... Never mind, it's what you call it. It's photos of, like, Cutie Marshall and others on the big screen they weren't exactly happy but uh, apparently this was advertised well in advance mm-hmm. that blood and guts was going to be the like the match that you see in person but everything else was going to be pre-taped
0: yeah that's right uh, i think there was a post that went out that said yeah because the you can see from the the fan picture in the arena that there was uh, somebody taking a picture and it looked like the, the whole arena had been set up with two rings and the cage sort of just brought down and then somebody was showing the Titan titantron with everything else on display yeah I mean if that was announced beforehand you know there's no reason why people shouldn't be justified a refund but I think it was fair play on AEW's part to sort of extend the olive branch and sort of take the high road with it and say if fans want refunds for it they, they can get it so it was I mean the think AEW was always going to be in the right with this one but you know with fans you know sort of claiming refunds saying they didn't know they didn't know when it was announced beforehand you haven't really got a leg to stand on but I like how AEW sort of honoured that they would you know deliver refunds for them
1: yeah it just it seems a weird thing to wait a year to give you know live wrestling to like an actual full scale crowd
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then pre-tape some of the matches I just I know maybe the maybe the visual of you know you know the two rings might might have been a factor, but like we've seen old NWA and WCW pay per views and you know war games pay per views where the wrestlers just pick a ring to fight in and they Aye. fight in it. So I, I, I it, it was an odd one. It, it's obviously been announced in advance, so you know if you went you, you knew what you were getting into. But the fact that it was a a call that was made in the first place. I think it's just a it's
0: a rather silly one. Yeah, I mean there's not much you can really do about it. Like but I suppose, you know, why couldn't they just, you know, kept the cage above the ring and just have the the superstars compete in one ring or the other. But I think it's because the reason AEW's set up is that the the two rings are actually perpendicular to the stage. Whereas the NXT setup, it's the the rings sort of follow on from the stage in like a almost a straight line so you could get away with get away with it on nxt but aw would look a little bit lopsided if they chose one ring over another
1: yeah right well we'll move on for this because it's one of those ones as well like there's there's really not a not a way to say who's in the wrong here you know what i mean because was just mm. it was pre-announced but why was it pre-taped you know it's just it daft decision on all parts Um, so according to a report from the Voices of Wrestling via Fightful uh, AEW wrestler Ricky Starks is currently out with a fractured neck injury, per the report Starks is expected to miss three months of in-ring action Fightful have said that Starks' injury is just a slight fracture he'll be able to stay on TV in some capacity and the injury, sorry the issue reportedly does not require surgery so Mm -hmm. Good news that it doesn't require surgery. Bad news for Ricky Stark though, because they were in some big matches, team Taz, You know they were involved in the Sting uh, comeback. They were involved with Darby Allen in the TNT title.
0: Mm-hmm. Brian so, Cage got a Brian Cage got a victory over Hangman Page on Dynamite last week.
1: Yeah, so like they're involved with you know one of the top stars and uh, Adam Page. So it's. It's a shame for Ricky Starks that he's going to miss some action, uh, but hopefully he'll be back soon and back in fighting shapes. hmm
0: Well, Hobbs' powerhouse is still on Team Taz as well, so it's not like they're short of members, you know, they could have Cage and Hobbs compete as a tag team if they wanted.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to see if Hook ever gets in the ring. I think he's just sort of an up-and-comer from Taz's school, but um, yeah, so <laughs> it's a weird one to see I wonder who will would you call it who will take their place Mm -hmm. Uh, and finally on AEW news AEW heading back on the road again Uh, they've announced a welcome back tour uh, in Austin, Texas on Wednesday July 14th Wednesday July 7th at the James L Knight Centre in Miami Uh, July 14th at the HEB Centre in Cedar Park, Texas in the Greater Austin area and mm-hmm. July 21st at the Curtis-Culwell Centre in Garland, Texas in the Greater Dallas area. Good to see people getting out and about and start touring again. I'm looking forward to seeing WWE get away from the Thunderdome, NXT going back to Full Sail maybe, or back mm-hmm. on the road, and of course AEW. Because we know this, we're watching wrestling, different crowds, different atmospheres, different attitudes. It's what makes wrestling special, you know, it, it does seem like there's been a very, very sanitised vibe. You know, what I mean very same vibe to some mm. of the shows
0: because see, of the pandemic, no no one's fault. Yeah. See I've got mixed feelings about you know wrestling companies going back on tour, like particularly WWE, where they used to have the, the live show circuit as well. And you could see from live shows that you know the attendance records, you know, were starting to dip and it just didn't have that same capacity feel. Uh, compared to sort of live events. And I get, you know, the pandemic's still an issue in the US, but, you know, the the vaccination rates at this rate, you know, I've been looking at, I've been tracking the progress of the vaccination rate, and it seems to be doing very well at the minute. So I can see why they'd be eager to get back on tour, you know, get that different mix of energy and crowds. But I think we've just sort of been in this sort of Thunderdome format for so long that you almost forget that, you know, the the use the old format was to go from town to town. And I almost wonder, you know, is it the right thing to do? Because with the Thunderdome, you could still have an audience that's uh, that's worldwide and not have to worry about, you know, seating capacities or, you know, people having to travel for that, etc. And it, puts, it takes a lot of pressure off the talent as well, you know, given that they're based in Florida. But what I will agree with is if they do go on tour save it for like big events or a specific tour you know WWE does their european tour like that's that's understandable but in the us they go to different places all the time why not save you know save touring events for for big shows like takeovers like pay-per-views like wrestlemania that going back out on the the circuit just for regular tapings I think that adds a little extra bit of pressure for the, the talent as well, given that, the, you know, they'll be away from a home environment. They won't get to see their families for best part of a year. And, you know, the world has changed because of this pandemic. People are changing the way they work. Like, even just people from who are able to work from home are actually being encouraged to continue it because, you know, it helps them sort of keep an easier work-life balance. And I think the same could be said in some some capacity for WWE and AEW. But, You know, each to their own. If they if they prefer going on tour and you know going to different cities, that's that's what they signed up for. But for me personally, I don't think it would make much of a difference unless they were able to get full capacity crowds back.
1: See, I I I disagree. There, I think you need to to sustain the sort of demand that WWE wants. I do agree with the fact that they go places in the US all the time and I think they could do more tapings from the likes of, you know, they've done Mexico before, they've done Mm -hmm. tapings in Japan, they've done tapings in the UK. in Italy. Yeah, maybe the big tours there, you know, like, you know, a a two-week European tour and then, you know, maybe a week in Mexico and a week in Australia and, you know, a week in, you know, Japan. Fair enough. But I I do, I, I don't think the two, the the, the live shows like the live event shows should mm. be as much I think TV should still be on but should go place to place I think that's your big thing but if you're in the US perhaps you know where attendance is dwindling and you know we, we know better than anyone the price of a WWE ticket when they come to Glasgow for a,
0: a house yeah. show almost, uh, a, almost, a hundred, almost a hundred quid for a front row at uh, ringside well there you go see so it's like
1: you know i maybe every second week do the tours in America and then maybe once every second month say, and by the way, you'll be on the road three weeks this year, because uh, three weeks this month because, you know, we're, we're doing Mexico or we're doing Japan or we're doing the UK, you know what I mean? I think, mm-hmm. I, I don't think we should limit the number of tours because I think more and more people, there is demand to see WWE and AEW and what have you, but...
0: Oh, always, yeah.
1: But I don't think um... Live events will be much a thing when they come back from the pandemic, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll move on from that. Uh, we'll move on to the WWE news for this week. Um, retro SmackDown was this past Friday, mm-hmm. Um not much retro about it except Michael Cole wore a jean, a jean zipper, yeah, yeah. P- Pat McAvey, dressed like Vince McMahon, and Teddy Long showed up and try to get five people to fight with The Undertaker. So, you know, <laughs> you, you could tell this was uh,
0: a fox. They did the kind of the Red- bring the fist back as well, albeit with the they augmented don't, reality. Don't. They did not bring the fist back. Do not give them credit. Um, <laughs> I can see what they were trying to do, and I appreciate that. But it just wasn't the same as, you know, having the, the physical fist as the stage. So, yeah, I think they were just trying to try to appease the crowd without appeasing them at all
1: yeah Um, you could tell this was was part of Retro Week on Fox Network Uh, they were doing like a retro Indy 500 match, Uh, sorry uh, race from I I don't know if it's a retro venue that doesn't get used anymore or what have you but they said it was a retro race, I don't
0: know how yeah Um, If, if, if it's the Indy 500 it'll probably be the old Indianapolis racetrack or something Right. Well, they. I. I. I would not know about that.
1: Um. You could tell this was not a doubt of sanctioned one. You could tell very much this was the network going do this, and the network just seen the bare minimum done. Went okay. That'll do. Uh, but <laughs> that'll do. Don't uh, That'll do. It, one thing I did like from Terry Long's appearance was he was given the power to make matches, and he said that the Cesaro Seth Rollins rematch. If Cesaro won his rematch, he would become the number one contender for Roman Reigns' Universal title. I think we knew this was coming, but it was made official this past week on SmackDown. Really enjoyed the Seth Rollins-Cesaro match.
0: Yeah, when you've got guys like Seth Rollins and Cesaro competing for who's going to challenge for the title, you know you're going to get something good, especially if you've watched their their match at WrestleMania, which a lot of our our listeners and other members of this team said was one of the best matches the entire weekend, and Cesaro has just come leaps and bounds over, you know, the the ranks of SmackDown. He's become one of the sort of upper main event guys that could potentially dethrone Roman Reigns. But what um, I remember back from WrestleMania, there was this sign in the crowd and it was it was a play on words from Cesaro's appearances on Up Up Down Down when he's playing Uno and one of the phrases used is like uh what color do you want and one of the signs was it was the WWE title and the Universal title obviously they're the same design but they're different colors and it was like uh hey Cesaro what color do you want I think that was a I think that's a nod from the fans to say that you know we're ready for him to be world champion or Universal champion and there's They've also acknowledged that they watch him on on Up Up Down Down and he's actually a very entertaining character on there as well.
1: Yeah, it's been a bit more of a prolonged push than I expected. I said on the WrestleMania uh, previews. I thought this was gonna be a one and done and uh sort of sort of one and done and Cesaro's back to the mid card, but still in the world title picture, you know, Roman doesn't acknowledge him, but he he's basically forced himself in there um
0: i've actually got an interesting stat from uh, about roman reigns and cesaro like obviously they're cesaro's challenging roman for the universal title but the last time cesaro challenged for a singles championship was against roman reigns and it was on raw in 2017 where he challenged him for the intercontinental title and this is when he was one half of the raw tag champions with the bar
1: well, well, I'll see your interesting stat and raise you one when we go to the Backlash preview just remind me, okay?
0: Righto, yeah <laughs> and might I also add that's when the, the Intercontinental Championship was in its glorious white strap format and can you imagine uh, Big Swiss holding that championship it would just look like perfection
1: See, that's why you just on a wee side no, that's why I, I, I never really liked that title design because I think it was a wrestler's title it looked good on like wrestlers, but even even though Miz brought prestige to the title, I never thought he looked that good with it. I think I, th- I think it looked it looked it's a wrestler's title, you know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. on someone like Christian or Cody Rhodes or like I know he is an absolute deplorable piece of shit on the human race, but I always thought Alberto Del Rio, because he looks like a wrestler and he comes from a wrestling family background, he he would have looked great with that title. Thankfully, now he's nowhere near WWE and he should never return. But, you know, that's just a a side note on that. Mm. Um, But before we got the match with Cesaro and Seth Rollins, we did get a return on SmackDown. We got the return of Jimmy Uso. About time. Yeah, it's it's great to see Jimmy back. He sees injuries, his personal uh, life stuff going on. But he's back now and there's a wee bit of tension in the family.
0: Hmm. Yeah. It's like, it goes back to sort of Hell in a Cell because I remember there were playing highlights of that just as Jimmy came out. And it was because of Roman choking out Jimmy that it was Jay that actually uh, was forced to quit uh, the in the I Quit Hell in a Cell stipulation. So you, you, you would have thought that, you know, maybe Jimmy Uso would have been, you know, one to sort of dispute the acknowledgement of Roman Reigns as the tribal chief and the head of the table but when they sort of came out at first you know they were high-fiving each other and stuff and I thought it was a little bit weird but as the night went on there was a lot more sort of intrigue behind it you know Jimmy was calling out Jay for you know everything that happened to him he's just he's just a pawn etc I think I'm intrigued to see where this will go it will create a very interesting dynamic but I think it it also helps us think about, you know, when we were talking about a potential heel bloodline stable, you know, having Reigns and the Usos just run SmackDown rampant, you know, the Usos take back the tag titles and just go on this rampage. But I'd be more interested to see this uh, a potential chapter two of the of the family feud between all three of them rather than just the Usos versus Roman back in like back in October.
1: Yeah, there's a lot. Of, what you call it? There's a lot of possibilities going forward. I'm really intrigued how the brothers will interact with each other. We saw the closing segment where the Usos sort of left the ring. Cesaro took his moment and struck and like got Roman alone. And it was only once Jimmy actually came back in that three-on-one got a bit too much for him. Mm. <clears throat> um, you know, he he said that he wants to go after the tag titles. He wants to do it on his own jimmy's like you know uh, jay's like you know being with roman that gets us the advantage we can have that so uh, as you said yeah it'll be interesting to see where we go from there it's uh it's one of those ones i don't want to go into because i don't want to fancy book it because i'll be here for hours and as well i don't want to be disappointed if i don't get my way you know what i mean
0: yeah i get you yeah but yeah i think we just need to let this sort of plan out and see what happens because you know Cesaro's also getting involved with them could Jimmy sort of be debating about whether to you know assist assist the stable or will he go rogue and you know end up causing problems for them right
1: well as we move on to our backlash preview a wee stat here for you this backlash will be the third post-wrestlemania pay-per-view in a row where the person that walked out of Wrestlemania the world ch- a world champion faces someone who was a world champion exactly a year before. So, my, wee, my thought process here. Seth Rollins at Money in the Bank 2019 defended mm-hmm. the title AJ Styles who one year prior was WWE champion. Drew McIntyre defended the WWE title at Money in the Bank 2020 against Seth Rollins who was one year prior the Universal champion. And Bobby Lashley now defends the WWE title in a triple threat against both Braun Strowman and Drew McIntyre, who one year prior were the Universal and WWE champions respectively. So Mad. it's a case of if, if you don't walk out of WrestleMania the next year as the champion, you'll get your match at the, <laughs> the post-WrestleMania
0: uh, pay-per-view. Fair enough. I mean, I my mean, stats aren't really that convoluted, but you know what? That is, that's mighty fine statistical work right there.
1: It was actually just I was sitting bold the other day and I just thought oh, oh that's weird that huh? I'm, I'm, I'm going to mention that just uh, nobody nobody else listening will find it interesting I find it hilarious you Not know I mean I, I really No, now that you've said it out
0: loud it is, it is pretty hilarious to think about But as I did say Backlash is this
1: coming Sunday or Wrestlemania Backlash as they're calling it um, Triple Threat match for the WWE title Bobby Lashley Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman Three of possibly WWE's most interesting people when they're booked right. And a feud that I just really do not care about, Dave. I really do uh, not care about this.
0: It's it's a shame really because you know Lashley and Drew opened, you know, WrestleMania in front of a crowd for the first time in over a year. And that was actually a very solid match. And I could see how Braun Strowman's been able to fit himself in there having got some momentum off, you know, also him getting a win at Mania. So it's yeah, I'm not really sure, you know, where they're going with this, you know, but I can't see it any other way apart from maybe Lashley possibly retaining. But if they do a massive swerve, I think it's still possible. You know, maybe maybe Drew could win. But then, you know, given other stories that's been going on, it makes you wonder, you know, how long would he hold the title for? It's it's definitely a, a weird one. Strowman, I think, was is mainly there to eat the pen. You know whether it's to protect uh, Lashley or Drew, but I think he's least likely to be walking out with the title. Yeah, no, I I
1: 100% agree. I believe he's there to take the pin. Believe he's there to protect Drew. Uh, I think Bobby Lashley is walking out as champion again. I think Drew could do with some time away from the WWE title scene. I was still in main event feuds, but. You know, away from the title picture for a wee while. I don't think it would do him any harm. He's been in and around the title picture since December of 2019. You know what I mean? So he's he's had this time in the sun. Let's let's take him out for a wee minute, or maybe get a draft to SmackDown when Superstar Shakeup happens. Him and Roman again. You know, Roman defeated him.
0: That'd be great.
1: Uh, at Survivor Series. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see them go one on one again, but. Yeah, I, I, it's it's just a match that doesn't interest me at the minute. I just I, I just think Raw's been very poor post WrestleMania, and I think it's like out of you know, Dynamite, Impact, NXT, SmackDown has been the poorest of the five. I believe. I just, it's it's not been enjoyable for me.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's Raw's just not been. It's lost its stride when it comes to good booking and you have the same people doing multiple matches in the same night the, the variety is not there and they've resorted to you know ripping the piss out of slipping on water and uh, just a a set of division that just seems to be going nowhere at the minute
1: yeah I, I don't doubt this is going to be a great match and uh, like the un-Bobby feud beforehand which was, was back extremely was 2019 I believe yep yeah they had the the sort of last man standing match I believe that was Um, very well done yeah that was a great match like these are two guys when the bell goes that are great in the ring Drew McIntyre we don't need to say anything about him but it's just it's a poorly booked triple threat I think compared especially to the women's one you know Charlotte Flair using her influence and, you know, getting cosy with Sonya Deville and then the whole the whole sort of other thing there with Sonya Deville and Adam Pearce trying to grab power. Rhea Ripley being pissed off. Asuka just wanting a fight with anyone, you know. I I think that triple threat's been better booked than the Mm -hmm. men's one.
0: I just hate it how, you know, Rhea Ripley actually gets a victory over Asuka uh, on this week's Raw. It sort of diminishes the match a little bit and then obviously you get Charlotte Flair in the position that she was probably going to be booked in before all this uh, Lacey Evans feud sort of went to went to shit. And um, yeah, Charlotte had to be off TV for, for reasons as such. You know, it was still not quite confirmed what those reasons were. And I think they're just sort of just picking up where they were supposed to do on the Build to Mania.
1: So one well booked feud, one not so well booked feud, two matches are gonna be great. Who do you see coming out of WrestleMania Backlash with the men's world title and the women's world title from the Raw brand?
0: If I'm playing it safe, I would say Bobby Lashley's retaining and Oh, this is gonna be a risk this one's gonna be a risky pick, but I'm actually gonna say Charlotte <laughs> is gonna win the raw women's title at Backlash.
1: See, I I can see some shenanigans going on with Charlotte winning the title. Um, we Ripley, you know, we we've, we've discussed it. She's not exactly lit the header lights, and she went onto the Raw roster. She's sort of half heel, half face. Mm-hmm. Um, I I would like to see her and Charlotte go up against each other again. Charlotte giving it, you know, you've never beat when it matters. I think that could be an interesting feud, and Asuka could do with some time away from the the title picture as well. You know, she's nearly a year she's been in and about the title pictures since she won money in the bank. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's diminishing to take Drew and Asuka out of the firing line in the world titles because I think it does more damage to keep them in there and have them lose multiple times than it does to maybe go and have a feud yeah. elsewhere.
0: See so you mentioned the superstar shakeup just there. Can you imagine yes. maybe if Asuka gets moved to SmackDown and she ends up facing Bianca Belair oh my god now that is something that would sell yeah
1: Yeah, absolutely I think the problem for Asuka is she's always been sort of stop start booked with a title on the main roster Uh, it almost feels like since the uh, undefeated streak ended they've never had the confidence to just go full pelt with her again I think she needs somewhere where she can be like the, the woman again, but I think if she's going to go to SmackDown, I think it's Bianca Belair's time at the minute. Mm. Um, and for now, I'd, I'd keep her away from that. But maybe, maybe feuds with Bailey, you know, non-title feuds, because it's it's good to get non interesting non-title feuds back in the women's division. Because I think WWE is failing there.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. So
1: you've won Bobby and Charlotte. Yes, I also go Bobby and Charlotte I'll, I'll cop out and if people slag me for getting it wrong I'll say I was just following it was an <laughs> older boy <avoided. laughs>
0: hey listen if if you want to go with my predictions that's fine because more often than not I actually do pretty well on predictions
1: you do that yes I, I have my once a year title win and then just kind of sit back and <laughs> I mark the sweeps I'm, I'm happy just yeah.
0: to be involved like the like the Royal uh, Rumble so, quiz, you're too scared to participate, so instead you're just relegated to hosting duty.
1: Exactly, exactly. Uh, so we did talk about Bianca Belair. Um, her and Bailey are going to take on each other for the SmackDown Women's Title. I think this is potential to be match of the night if given enough time. Uh, Bianca's on the up. She's obviously our only really consistent feud that was on TV that she had. Mm-hmm. Um, before when the rumble was with Bailey, She's a couple of wins over her. Bailey coming off, you know, not being booked on WrestleMania. She did the thing with the Bellas, that was a bit of a bit of a letdown considering Bailey's, you know, three hundred and eighty plus day reign as SmackDown Women's Champion. I really hope they they let them do like a multiple match feud. You know what I mean? I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind Bailey take the title back. For a couple of weeks just to maybe lose it back to bianca and then you know what i mean like if she wins under like dubious circumstances but i think this could be a feud with bianca's promo skills with bailey's promo skills and with her in-ring work i think th- this could be a really good feud that could help bridge that sort of lull period from wrestlemania to SummerSlam.
0: yeah definitely like you can could- these two have been sort of going back and forth for some time now and they always have an interesting program with each other. They've got victories over each other so it's a a hotly contested feud in terms of win-loss record and they're both really, really good at cutting promos. bailey has got her Ding Dong Hello segment which is a a new dimension to her heel character and it's working working really well. And I like how she's been sort of given a little bit of creative freedom to what she can talk about because, like, can you imagine, you know, how many people... Like if if she was given the green the green light to use that John Cena line in front of the Bellas at WrestleMania. I I'm not sure anybody else could have gotten away with that except maybe, you know, a couple of years ago when Ronda Rousey did exactly the same thing to Nikki Bella just before evolution.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a top guy and girl sort of uh, perk to like bring in real life stuff. You know, And, and, and sort
0: push of the boundaries them, a
1: bit, yeah. Yeah, and push the boundaries. So, yeah, I I look forward to seeing those two uh, go at it. But the main is, Dave, who do you see winning? Do you see Bailey maybe getting a Nefarious win? Or do you think Bianca's going gonna to get the win here?
0: No, I think Bianca's getting this one. I think because she's built a ton of momentum having won the, the title at WrestleMania. She's still on that hot streak. And I think for her to establish herself as the top woman she needs to rack up big wins on on pay-per-view
1: yeah I agree um, yeah, I agree there I think Bianca's going to win uh, we move to obviously we mentioned Cesaro versus Roman Reigns beforehand um, something that me and Chris Murray talked about Chris Murray brought it up uh, last week was that do you think he asked do you think Roman's overpowered? do you think it's like it's going to be a while for someone to like take the title from him. I think it's going to be a while before someone takes the title from Roman, and I think mm-hmm. someone like a a Cesaro has not been built enough to take the title. But I don't think Roman being overpowered is exactly a bad thing. I because I think it makes when someone eventually beats him that much more more poignant. It makes it that much more meaningful. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. But can I actually share an interesting prediction I have because if they are going to drag this feud out and we don't think Roman's going to drop the title uh Backlash I actually think Cesaro could win by disqualification
1: I wouldn't say it now it wouldn't be the worst idea
0: I mean you've still got that you've still got that infighting with the Usos and stuff Jimmy might try and you know he might give Cesaro a swift kick where it costs Roman the match but he still keeps the title but it's still at the same time Short sort of shows a little bit of allegiance to to Roman, so it kind of sort of kills two birds with one stone. It Cesaro gets a title match win, but he doesn't win the title. Uh, and then you've got Jimmy sort of questioning his allegiance to either Roman or is he going against him? And it's absolutely nothing to do with the fact that Cesaro's on my draft team as well.
1: Oh no, not at all, not at all. You're a reprehensible person. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I. Yeah, we we sort of saw um, Seth Rollins you know him and Roman had a bit of a back and forth Rollins claiming that you know the Usos being out there cost uh, Rollins because they were going to get him disqualified and Rollins was like you know I don't need your help I don't need your help we saw Rollins beforehand asking like what about me what if I win Um, so yeah it's it's an interesting one I think I don't think you'd be I don't think it'd be the realms of possibility of him winning via DQ, I think. I think you could be onto something there. Mm. But I thought, just so it's not boring, and I go, I agree, Dave. I'm going to just say you're completely wrong and go (laughs) for Roman Dominic. Fair enough. The Dirty Dogs, uh, the Dirty Dogs, they did nothing for like the first two months of their tag title reign, and now recently they've been quite prominent on SmackDown and quite, I'd say quite a highlight. They had their battle four-way tag title defend on the Wrestlemania Smackdown they defeated the Street Profits a couple of weeks ago on Smackdown and now they're going up against Rey Mysterio and Dominic. the Usos are back you know you've still got the Street Profits there and thereabouts you've got Chad Gable and uh, Chad Chad Gable and Otis uh, floating about Sami Zayn and King Corbin had that sort of team for a while you know the the tag division's heating up on Smackdown I, I like the fact that Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler being used again because I think they're too talented not to be used especially if you're going to put a title
0: on them. Yeah, they've been wasted for you know the first part of the year. I think Ziggler was on his own uh, for the Royal Rumble and a little bit after that and they hadn't defended the titles for 83 days since they won it and it was like, you you can't just get away with defi- not defending a title for two like two, three months when, you know, there was a time when WWE had a 30 day championship clause saying you must defend the title at least once a month like they've just completely sort of been that and which is a it's a real shame because you know title matches are what sell uh sell tickets and what get people to tune in so just having leaving your tag team division sort of left hanging is is pretty poor but it's Vince McMahon in WWE and we all know he's not a massive you know advocate for tag team wrestling but now that you've mentioned all those teams on Smackdown it. It gives a little bit of hope to you know maybe wwe is finally rebuilding its tag division but it's all seemed to be happening on happening on smackdown and if they could just replicate that on raw you know you know it'd be they'd be brilliant i mean nxt pretty much has everything nailed down at this stage maybe a couple of hiccups here and there but all in all you know when you've got a men's tag division and a women's tag division on one brand you know you the producers of Rod's back there better be taking notes uh, Notes from NXT.
1: Yeah, and I like that... Um, I like Rey Mysterio's new role, sort of. It's not like I'm Rey Mysterio's son, that's what I do now for... but Dominic, he's, he's like an equal partner to Rey. They're, they're going after the tag titles, they just happen to be father and son. Mm-hmm. I like that new role, where it's like the established guy bringing the new guy in. Yeah. And Dominic obviously the upset victory over Dolph Ziggler recently um, so yeah I'm looking forward to this match I think this could be another good match this is a this is a pay-per-view that although not a lot of the matches have had a massive build looking at all the matches I'm really looking forward to a lot of them uh, I think there could be some real gems in this
0: yeah uh, on paper with no background or context it actually looks really good yeah
1: uh, so do you see Rey and Dominic being the first Father son tag, or do you think the Dirty Dogs are going to walk out with their third successive title defence?
0: Uh, my head says Ziggler and Rude, unfortunately, but I would like to see Ray and Dominic, you know, become tag champions. And not to piss on your chips or anything, but they're not—they're not, they're not the first uh, wrestling tag team who, like, father son tag team to be tag team champions. Because just recently, Ricky Martin of the Rock and the Roll Express posted a picture of him and his son with uh, an indie promotions tag team titles so it's not wrestling's first father son tag team champions but it certainly would be WWE's first father son tag team champions
1: well fucking pardon me for breathing (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm gonna go I'm gonna go Rude and Ziggler I like that they've been given TV time lately I like Dolph Ziggler he is such a good heel he's an arrogant dick and Robert Rude you know he's a throwback wrestler he just looks intimidating and I wish WWE would get more mic time because he is good at it but the fact that he's being used uh, I can't really complain I'm going to go Dirty Dogs and we're just going to sort of skip over this match because I'll just get protection prediction the from you yeah. because it seems they're trying to fight the, the fumes of Bad Bunny um, Damien Priest versus The Miz Lumberjack match Damien Priest for the win there
0: Yeah, I agree
1: Yeah, so I agree on almost all of them except
0: um the
1: Universal it's title match. Universal title, yeah, but even still, I, I don't see a... Uh, I don't exactly... I, I wouldn't be shocked, I should say, that Cesaro would win. Um, but we talked about, obviously, the women's division on Raw, we talked about the division on SmackDown, where, um, where certain people would go. Becky Lynch recently has signed a new $1 million a year deal with WWE ahead of her return. Uh, she's been absent for almost a year now after giving birth to her daughter, uh, was it Rue? Rue, yeah. Uh, born last December. Uh, according to The Sun, which quotes reports from Ringside, new- Ringside News, the fourth... Women's Champion signed a new multi-million dollar deal also confirmed earlier this year that Lynch is expected to make her in-ring come back soon uh, Becky Lynch she's just had her first baby she'll be coming back at a certain point in time in the not too distant future WWE President and Chief Revenue Officer Nick Khan cleared them all uh, said in April <laughs> uh, she spent last weekend I'm just reading this report last weekend celebrating Mother's Day blah 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 so yeah it doesn't say how long it's for but it does say it's now a it's a million dollar a year deal, uh, massive for Becky herself, obviously, but also massive for the women's division as a whole. You know, for years there's always been um, th- there's always been a disparity between the, what the men get paid and what the women get paid. Uh, The bell has sort of bridged that gap, and it's good to see people like Becky Lynch being recognized for what she brings to the table as a superstar, as opposed to her gender.
0: Yeah, I agree. Like, Becky Lynch, you know, she's become, over the last few years, one of the biggest names in WWE. It never does matter if she's male or female. but yeah, ever since that turn at SummerSlam 2018, you know she's submitted herself as one of the the top names of the entire company. She got to main event WrestleMania, and obviously, you know, obviously she's been absent for the past year due to maternity leave. But it's it still goes to show how highly they regard Becky and how much influence she has on the WWE audience. And I'm obviously I can't speak for for Becky herself, but you know if she's eager to get back in the ring as well then you know fair play to her and i'm more curious as to where she'll go because obviously she was on raw before signing off but i have a feeling you know she could potentially go to smackdown because wwe has this habit of sort of pairing couples on the same show like bianca and montez are both on smackdown and you know johnny and candace are both on nxt like rollins is on smackdown at the minute so it would make sense to have becky go on Smackdown as well and that still opens the door for a number of other potential feuds like you know we talked about the possibility of Bianca versus Asuka what about Bianca versus Becky like yeah yes please um, so just
1: on a story we mentioned last um, we mentioned SummerSlam uh, Texas and Arizona were being considered I put forward the idea for Madison Square Garden um, according to Dave Melpser of the Wrestling and Radio Madison Square Garden is now on consideration for this year's SummerSlam mm-hmm. on Monday EW Insider reported that WWE's big SummerSlam pay-per-view is set for Sunday August 22nd with a location yet to be finalised last month Sports Illustrated reported the plan for SummerSlam was to help be held in front of a live crowd uh, and it just mentions obviously the legendary Madison Square Garden, it hosted the first SummerSlam in 1988, hosted 1991 and 1998, it'd be good to see, would you call it, be good to see a WWE pay-per-view back at Madison Square Garden, wouldn't it?
0: Yeah, certainly would, and obviously it's a much smaller venue as well, so they could get away with, you know, a sort of more intimate crowd feeling while still maybe maintaining some capacity limitations. So yeah, and obviously New York City is a is a very passionate wrestling crowd. So you'll get a very vocal audience at the same time in such a smaller venue. One thing I did notice as well, and this comes from Fightful Select, is that Las Vegas was also getting a bit of uh, a bit of steam when it comes to SummerSlam because they've got the Allegiant Stadium where the Raiders play. They, that was uh, that was another venue that was thrown in there, and I remember you guys mentioned last week about you know the University of Arizona where I think it was WrestleMania 26 was held that's another really good venue to have but now that Madison Square Garden's been sort of you know been the the favorite choice I think that would be more suitable given that it's it's indoors it's a smaller venue it's a smaller crowd and it's a much more vocal crowd and I think that's what you need for a big four pay-per-view
1: yeah I'd agree there i um, just going to sort of Because we are running long on this segment, I'm just going to kind of go through the next segment. Uh, John Cena returning to the WWE as a narrator for the WWE Network at Peacock series that will center around antagonists of sports. Uh, It will be called WWE Evil. It's described as an entertaining psychological expose into the minds of the most diabolical characters in WWE history and their impacts on the mainstream culture um mm. sounds sounds like an interesting watch but it, you know John Cena's gonna be back in wwe i prefer it being in ring you know what i mean
0: if possible yeah. <laughs> But i could see cm punk being on that list pretty easily given he had such a high profile feud that almost like, basically broke the fourth wall so i mean if his first episode of cm punk i think i'd be tuning in to watch that yeah
1: um and velveteen dream uh, the controversial to say the least uh, nxt superstar was apparently backstage at monday night raw this week uh i i'm gonna be honest i forgot he would you call it um
0: about the allegations
1: yeah yeah no i forgot he was employed all right um so i'm just reading a report here wwe nxc superstar velveteen dream was not at monday raw for any kind of red brand creative plans uh pw insider noted how um how he was backstage at raw uh, he's not been on TV since losing to Adam Cole on the 23rd of December episode of NXT so no word as to why he was there um, he's not being brought up anytime soon I can't imagine he would be especially with live crowds returning and certain allegations put against him we should say these are allegations yep uh, he was, uh, uh, he was
0: in, I think he was involved in a car accident at the end of the year as well
1: well there you go that could be one of the reasons why he's off TV um Yeah, Velveteen Dream has... His stock's fallen quite a bit with allegations, you know. If they are just that, then it is a shame. If the stuff is true, then it's fully deserved. Uh, But it's the old adage, mudstick. So, unfortunately, we're just going to leave that at that and just move Mm -hmm. on to NXT. There's a new stable in NXT called Hit Row. Swerve Scott, uh, Ashanti... Top dollar and B fab, uh, Swerve sort of like an aggressive like movie star celebrity now. Uh, you know, pushing over paparazzi, riding with a posse. Mm-hmm. I think this could be quite
0: good for um Swerve himself. Uh, he, you know, he's, been, he's, he's been cutting promos in a recording studio as well so he has that sort of vibe about him anyway now that he's got his own posse I think it just adds to his stock that he's not just a, another face in the endless sea of 205 Live competitors Like he's actually making himself stand out on NXT and I'm excited to see what they do with him
1: yeah absolutely and more and more teams coming into the fold mm-hmm. of NXT you, know, you could have any one of a three-man pairing there and, of course, uh, B-Fab, another person in the already stacked NXT Women's Division. Yep. Um, we'll use that to go from one Women's Division competitor to another. Raquel Gonzalez defeating Mercedes mm-hmm. Martinez
0: yeah, and her mammy. first
1: title defense. <laughs> Jesus. Um, her first title defense, a good back-and-forth match. Mercedes Martinez,
0: never thought she was going to win, but give a hell of an account of herself. Uh, Mercedes Martinez is no pushover, by the way. You know, she can deliver a very good match, but I do see a bit of a, a trend setting when it comes to her. Like, she's sort of brought in as the, almost like a, a strong challenger to a new champion, but or ne- but never really used to sort of capitalize on it. She's more, she, I, I hate to say it, but she gives me the impression of heel enhancement talent. You know, someone that helps put over a face champion while still looking fairly dominant in the ring. Kind of like when Io Shirai defended against her and Tony Storm a few months back. You know, that's kind of what she was there for, to sort of place hold uh, before a later feud down the line. And I worry, you know, she's going to be continued to be put like that, and she doesn't deserve that.
1: It's the thing, though, that in the men's division, not everyone can be world champion. I don't think it should be any different for the women's division. I think it was a good match. Raquel Gonzalez is the rising star, like we said, with Bianca and, you know, Rhea. It's their time just now. And there's nothing wrong with moving people out of the, you know, occasionally there to lose and then moving them out of the title pitch just to move them back in at a later date where they could maybe win or maybe not, you know. But happy to see Raquel Gonzalez get a first title defence. I I'm, Yes, yes, we know you are. <laughs> <laughs> and Kushida in the main event. Defeating Santos Escobar two one in the two out of three falls match for the cruiserweight title, really good match. Um, big fan of Santos getting a bit carried away and a bit arrogant, refusing to um, refusing to let sort of stop attacking Kushida after getting the first fall, and then um, and then Kushida catching him out and getting the getting the fall on him there. Would you? What do you make of that, and what do you think of Kishida as cruiserweight champion going forward?
0: This is exactly what Kishida needed, uh, as far as I'm concerned, because he's always been very much the nearly guy when it comes to not just the cruiserweight title, but the North American title as well. And he was signed on like a couple of years ago, and he never got that big break. But when, but you know, obviously dethroning Santos Escobar, who was essentially cruiserweight champion for best part of a year. It's, um, it puts a stamp on Kushida to say, you know, he's actually making the title something that's worth watching. And, you know, he's an international international superstar. And at time of recording, it's his birthday as well. He's turning 38 today. And he doesn't look like, he doesn't look 38 at all. He looks about 10 years younger. And he can still go like that in the ring. It's It's a testament to how talented Kushida is. And it's, I like how he's using his sort of laser-focused wrestling style to one-up you know the cockiness and the arrogance of someone like Escobar who almost became in storyline wise almost too big for his boots when he sort of you know had an ego trip that was so big he's going to be cruiserweight champion forever he just defeats Jordan Devlin and then almost immediately drops it to Kushida and I think this uh, I'm I'm wondering what they'll do with Escobar now maybe they'll put him in pursuit of the North American title after you know if if assuming Bronson Reed wins it next week so it's there's certainly options for, for both these guys going forward but this is what NXT is all about you know delivering top tier matches you know over feuds that have been building for a few weeks and just generally best wrestling content
1: and a return on NXT this week as well um, Bobby Fish returning to help out Kyle O'Reilly Kyle O'Reilly defeating uh, Oni Larkin in a sort of impromptu match Pete Dunne attacks a uh, attacks Kyle right after the match Bobby Fish makes the save they have a chat with each other saying I'm doing my own thing and Bobby Fish says I'll see you when I see you and it's it, it's something I like with tag teams where you know people can go off and do their own thing as singles competitors but they don't have to break up they don't have to be you know one guy turning on the other or one guy going oh I carried the team you know mm-hmm. it's why I turned on you blah 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 Um you know, doing their own thing, but they can come back together when needed. I'm, I'm a fan of that.
0: Yeah, I think this is playing out quite well. You know, they're not immediately reuniting Kyle and Bobby straight away. But it's, um, also Bobby has gripe with, you know, Pete Dunne and Oni Larkin because the last time he was in a match, it was the War Games match where he ended up tearing his tricep. So you can see why both these guys have got legitimate reasons, you know, to pursue singles feuds at this stage. Uh... But obviously, Kyle still needs to keep that momentum as a single star. So keeping these two on good terms is definitely the wise decision. But having them, you know, follow their own feuds with a potential reunion down the end, I think this sort of plants the seed for it very nicely.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just a quick note of what's coming up on NXT. We'll review these in the coming weeks. So next week, we're going to be two TakeOver rematches. A steel cage match, Gargano versus Bronson Reed. Um, we've seen that you know develop nicely. I liked I liked Regal's interactions with Gargano I liked Bronson Reed to a man. Then you know a, a cage match so that the way couldn't get involved. And uh, Zoe Stark versus Tony Storm, a takeover rematch in its own right. And in two weeks' time, Finn Balor carrying cross the rematch for the world title, and Frankie Monet the world premiere, much to the delight of David Campbell.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: FKA, I have Valkyrie. Yep. And of course, June 13th, the Saturday before Money in the Bank, In Your House, Takeover 2021, hosted by the man, the myth, the legend, Todd Pettingale. Oh my God,
0: cannot wait for it. <laughs> I have no idea who that is, but I'm excited.
1: <laughs> so we'll move on from NXT to. NXT. Killer Kelly, former NXT UK superstar, uh, is rumoured to be signing with Impact very soon. She was doing TV tapings for the company in November. She flew back to her native Portugal, but unfortunately due to, you know, coronavirus and, you know, the world just being in an absolute tailspin at the moment, she couldn't get back into the country. But with restrictions easing, uh, it looks like she could be back in the company very, very soon. So look
0: forward to seeing her soon. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, fingers crossed. Like yeah, I remember seeing Killer Kelly on NXT UK a couple of times. Uh, I don't know if she was at the Glasgow tapings or not. Uh, can't remember. It was. It just feels like an eternity ago. But yeah, it's definitely one talent not to be wasted. And she's only she's only twenty nine as well. Still got years ahead of her. Chris, that was before. Like Wait, she's, young, was ju- she's younger than me by about three months.
1: <laughs> that was um, just after we came back from Amsterdam a group of us came back from Amsterdam that that feels like another lifetime
0: ago another eternity ago yeah I remember it was just like one of those times you could go travelling without you know the need for a a a, pass, a vaccine passport or a test that kind of thing
1: another big thing for Impact as well the retention of one half of its tag team champions uh, George Pacey has re-signed with a impact Wrestling a awesome one as I mentioned one half of the Impact Tag Team Champions rumours of her going elsewhere um, how important is it to to impact in this sort of forbidden door thing where they are Kind of relying on other people's talent, but at the same time, you know, keeping one of their big guns, you know, stopping, you know, because if she went AEW or went to, you know, somewhere in Japan, they could still, you know, come back and forward, but it wouldn't be under the Impact banner and it wouldn't be under Impact's control. Having her there, I think, is a is a big win for them. She's certainly a a coveted talent and has been for some time.
0: Yeah, I'd say she's on par with, you know, Diona Perrazzo as being two of the most influential female figures on Impact Wrestling at the minute. And Jordan Grace, obviously a very very active person on social media as well, posting a lot of, like, body positive type stuff. She definitely has a very good sort of role model for, you know, plus size women in particular. Not that, you know, there's anything anything wrong with that because you know she basically does her craft in the ring and she does it so damn well same can be said with Diona who just felt like another face in the NXT crowd but she's established herself as like one of the top names in Impact
1: yeah absolutely and outside of you know the big companies of Impact AEW and WWE um, EC3 recently tweeted hashtag free the narrative Fifth, 527 2021 this is not about a man. This is about an idea. Control, freedom, purpose. Streaming on VidMeo. www.freethenarrative.com. Free EC3 versus Matt Rules, which is uh, the former Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona. Uh, this is them putting on their own sort of pay-per-view with EC3 and uh, Matt Cardona as the headline match. A f- the narrative sort of sort of lore scale, um, all-in sort of thing, mm-hmm. where they're going against the, the WWE narrative and, you know, they're controlling their own narrative. I think this is quite a cool thing. You know, they've got a lot of promo videos. EC3 looks like an absolute monster in it. He is oh, yeah, the girls oh calm down you, David kind of I mean no
0: I'm, I'm just saying I've seen his oh, I've, seen, yeah. I've seen, I'm just <laughs> I've just seen I've seen his gym workouts like his, his his arms look like they're about to explode like that's how veiny he's got at the minute uh, but I have seen reports recently that he was in hospital dealing with uh, an infection of sorts So it'll be good to see him, you know, sort of get back in the ring after what looks like something that was quite serious to his health.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm just clicking on the link, actually, for the the pay-per-view itself. Yeah, it's sort of like them them putting on their own sort of pay-per-view. And I I think that's quite cool. You know, two guys who, let's face it, were criminally underused by WWE. Um, Two guys who really had a connection with the fans taking that and basically saying well you know if you'll not use it we will
0: and we'll make money off
1: it I, th- I think that's really cool
0: mm-hmm. it's always weird you know with these sort of you know when promote when wrestlers are actually promoting their own events but it's uh it does sort of get that sort of indie support behind them and it almost feels like a bit of a comeback for EC3 after his very sort of up and down you know signings with Ring of Honor and Impact and stuff it's uh He's been definitely someone to to keep an eye on, particularly with how he's progressed over the last few years. And we mentioned him on the NXT call-up show. He was just wasted so badly in his second WWE run. But now he's, this is almost like another renaissance chapter for for EC3. I'm
1: just reading the the sort of, uh, the blur here. There will be no three-letter companies or corporate wrestling brands, only answers. In addition to this feature fight, EC3 has personally invited people you know and people you will know, all of whom are ready to embrace the control your narrative movement. Movement Set to an original score, free the narrative is an entirely independent production that will feature an innovative blend of professional wrestling, cinema and harsh reality. To control your narrative is to tell your story and at free the narrative, their stories will be told. That's quite Mm. i'm really i'm getting more and more intrigued with this as i look into it you know it's it's quite intriguing <laughs> it'll be interesting to see if it's if it's all cinematic or is some of it like it it seems like it could be like a, like a sort of lucha
0: underground episode maybe yeah maybe a mixture of you know in-ring action and, and cinematic matches and, it, and obviously they'll have to adhere to covid guidelines as well but i think the way he's talking about it it seems like this is something that's definitely worth worth watching
1: yeah absolutely but we're going to wrap that up there because that's all we have time for this week on ESSR Central here on East Leap Retreat I want to thank David Hockney for joining me
0: thank you for having me
1: no worries um, I've enjoyed my three weeks hosting this I start a new job next week so I don't know if I'll be hosting next week but we will be back next week with a review of obviously this week's Uh, Dynamite and the fallout of uh, Blood and Guts the fallout from the Raw after WrestleMania Backlash and the pay-per-view itself and of course the North American title match Bronson Reed and Johnny Gargano and of course whatever else breaks in the crazy world of pro wrestling I've been Ross McLeod, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and YouTube at Suplex Retweet you can listen to more of our back catalogue at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet on iTunes, Android, Spotify and Anchor. And we'll see you next week. Bye for now.
0: Hello, I am Jack Graham. I am Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. And you can catch us most in one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasts, Saturday Draft Life. You can
1: share them every Saturday to find out who on the ESSR has the best chance of winning. Current season
0: of our Saturday Draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft live on all good podcasting platforms. Sports Social Podcast Network.